Hi, everybody. I'm Dale Sparagi, love and relationship coach and host of this podcast, New Wave Relationships, about all things relationships, relationship to self, others more than other, couples, singles, breakups, and dating. What's new in relationships and how relationships are changing and evolving, especially post-COVID, post-digital, post Me Too, and sadly to say, post no Roe versus Wade. So we're talking about finding love and losing love, creating lasting love and lifestyle. I'm thinking of this as a forum for relationships. So please, if you have any burning questions, send them in. Or here's something novel. If you'd like some coaching, if you're struggling with something in your relationship and you'd be willing to do the session here so others can benefit, please email me at dale at creativecorecoaching.com. In this episode of the New Wave Relationships podcast, Dale and I will be talking with Misha Byruk. He is a sexual integrity and masculinity coach with his company Evolve.Men. He also leads courses in Consent and Kink with the Bonobo Network and the Consent Academy. Together, we get into a really deep philosophical conversation about the masculine identity and what being in integrity with the self and other really means. Stay tuned until the end of the show for more information on his work. Hello, and welcome to the New Wave Relationships podcast. Today, we are going to have a discussion with a special guest and um, new friend of mine, um, Misha Byruk. And they are with their coaching company, Evolve.Men, and they are a sexual integrity coach, Jam Men's Coach, which... I, when I heard that Misha was into this work, I found it very unique because I've heard of men's coaches, just like I've heard of kind of like, um, you know, coaches for any gender, such as like women's coaches and queer coaches. Um, but I hadn't heard of a sexual integrity coach and I thought it was really unique. And as on our podcast, we talk about dating, sexual integrity sounds like that's in there, but I haven't talked about it too much. So excited to have you, Misha. It's great to be here. Thank you for your interest. Um, and I was wondering, well, first, how are you doing today? I'm great. Um, yeah, it's 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 cool. I, I was enjoying the pre-conversation that we were having just to kind of get to know each other a little bit. And I'm, yeah, I'm thrilled to be here. Yeah, oh. super great. Yeah, super great. And, you know, what we were talking about before was just like, how do you even begin talking about what masculinity and men is? And um, I'm not a man and I'm a queer woman. So, and then. Are you sure? No, no. Yeah, that's good. Well, I, I do go by she, they. So, you know, sometimes I definitely feel very Uh-oh. masculine. Um, yeah. So that's a good, good question there. Um, but yeah. So, uh-huh. So you're a men's coach. Um, are you able to yeah, start off talking a bit about that? Sure, sure. Um, so maybe maybe it makes sense to just get some terms straight. 
So at least at least for myself, when I use these terms, when I speak about being a men's coach, I mean that I'm coaching anybody who one-on-one who for who identifies as a man, right? Who for whom the word man resonates. I think that's usually the most inclusive um and correct way of, of thinking about manhood. Manhood is a state of being. Um and I don't mean uh people with uh, traditionally male body parts or XY chromosomes, biological distinction is less relevant to me um, than, than gendered socialization um, and expectations in, in a society. So I, I tend to coach men in the context of the society that we're in, in the context of their biology as well, but in the context of the society that they're in. Um, and when I hear the term masculinity, what I usually think of is a set of often gendered uh, energies or expectations, dominance, force, directionality, like strong intentionality, goal orientation, associated with linearity, yang energy, if you will. Uh, I tend to not uh, get too much into masculine feminine um, distinctions as much. I'm much more interested in the in 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 men as a as a socio political class than as the embodiment of masculinity per se. Okay, Great. with that, shall I continue? Oh, sorry, Dale, go no, ahead. No, no, I, I love that that <laughs> definition. I love that definition, and and welcome, Misha. It's really exciting to have you. Um, yeah, and and talking about what we're talking about today, I think is something that Sonny and I have been wanting to do for a long time and getting, and getting your perspective and, you know, kind of you're representing, you're, um, you're speaking for, for a lot of men, I would imagine. And that's kind of what um, I'm curious to hear, like, how are men doing and what are their, (laughs) what's going on with them today? I love I'm going to quote my friend Destiny. She said, she said one time at like the height of Me Too, she was like, are men okay? <laughs> yeah. Uh, the answer is m- many, many aren't, you know? <laughs> uh, but uh, yeah, boy, where to start? Uh, I, 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 I generally want to just put forth the idea that I come to this work of the idea of, of being a men's coach and being a sexual integrity coach from, from a perspective of, of joy and liberation, that this is not a, uh, a set of feminist slaps on the wrist for men. This is not a, an interventionist coaching modality to, to deal with just an essentially problematic nature I, I really do believe that uh, men and male sexuality um, specifically and manhood sexuality and the, the men's sexual expression is not just a necessary, but a beautiful thing, like a truly a, a beautiful thing and, um, and, a, and a powerful and wonderful and generative force in the world. And, and I, I have nothing but compassion for people who have been um, hurt around gender, who have distrust of men and maleness and especially I would say male sexuality often. And um, I have the deep compassion for, for all the wounds um, 
that we carry as a society. And so this is the, there, there is an element in my, in my modality, since you talked about my modality study of, I would call it maybe consciousness raising, but I really don't think of it as a, a inculcation or indoctrination of a specific feminist perspective so much as an invitation into a more liberated way of being, which frankly, for every one of my clients is, is a really unique to them path that what it looks like for a man to be liberated is a very unique thing. And there's often some overlapping pathways, you know, um, for many overcoming a, a number of consistent themes of patriarchal indoctrination, entitlement to sexuality, or maybe an apology or, or an apologetic nature or an apologetic approach to their own sexuality, maybe a distrust of their own sexuality. But every, every, every person's path to their own liberation is unique. And when I say that word liberation, what I mean is no longer being constricted by what society says it's important for you to be or you need to be, but rather finding your own way to self-actualization and, um, and a path in which you're, you are making the contribution that you're here to make in this, in this life, which is, I've found universally the core motivating factor for all my clients. Wow. That was, that was really good. Thanks for sharing that. What I hear you saying too, it sounds like, if I can mirror that back a little bit, is you're kind of humanizing the men experience a little bit and bringing, de-escalating it a little bit because there is so much tension in um, American culture, right? Of a, yeah. right the idea of patriarchy um, being a really intense subject that feels really, really deep. And I think it is kind of healing to talk about the joy of these things and de-escalate because there is so much just intensity in talking about masculinity um, sometimes. And so that's why I'm more curious about what exactly you do. And so yeah, I don't know if you have anything else to say on that at all. Yeah, no, for sure. I can totally get into specifics if you'd like. And I'd love to hear, Dale, if you have any thoughts as well. Yeah, I do actually. I I love that you're kind of separating the individual man from this co- kind of context of our culture. And I I work with a lot of couples and I see a pattern. You know, I see this pattern where so many men feel judged by their women. There's this tremendous Yeah, just almost affliction of like feeling judged and being and wanting to to do it right and feeling like they're not like they're not good enough. So that's like a pattern I see running which maybe you can you can speak a little bit about that in terms of liberating and how to how do we get men out of that? How are you helping them break free of that? Mhm. Yeah. Boy. Does that also go kind of into your sexual integrity coaching area a little bit, or is that kind of a different thing? It's it's not. I mean, it's it's related. It's related in the sense of often what I've seen is, and I won't say this universally, but a, a pattern. I, I think it's really, I think it's useful to speak in, in in observable patterns without trying to imply that any one thing applies to any one person. Or any one pattern, right? Because each, like my, my experience has radically shown me just how unique everybody is. And so, yes, you can identify some patterns, 
But a big part of my practice is like to not make assumptions and be like, oh, look, you're demonstrating X, Y, Z thing. You must have had an abusive father and feel entitled to sex and be a bad man or something. You know, like, <laughs> so so easy to fall into those diagnosis patterns or the pathologizing. But yeah, I mean, and what I would actually say is that the sense of a sense of inadequacy is maybe there's a there's a, a manifestation of that in in manhood and modern manhood. But boy, would I, I would probably say that a sense of inadequacy is an almost universal concept or an almost universal experience. Um, I'm sure that you could both have spent time analyzing a sense of inadequacy among women and among people uh, uh, who identify neither as men nor women, that there is a sense of inadequacy permeating our realities. We're, none of us are good enough. Oh my God, that's so sad. It's so scary. So I'll actually take it back to my original training, uh, which was as a transformational life coach in, in the ontological framework developed through through schools like landmark or est um my 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 first mentor in this arena um is a woman named maria nemeth who founded the academy for coaching excellence in sacramento which has trained a lot of my peers and coaches and yeah she she has helped me see the wisdom um which is also informed by tibetan buddhism of of rooting satisfaction in life and in self in your ability to contribute what you're here to contribute in this life. So that means that means orienting our, our understanding of like the meaning of life to towards contribution. Like what does it mean to be a contribution? And for some people that's like providing for their family. Some people that's like raising their children. For some people that's like putting your art out into the world. And for some people that's like being a leader, you know, and or Right. So what, what is that contribution that you're here to make and, and seeing that, and again, and again, I didn't really believe this when I first started learning to be a coach, but then I started having, you know, session after session, client after client, hundreds and hundreds of hours. And when I invoke, and not to mention hundreds more men in men's work groups um, that I've led or been part of in men's circles and larger circles um, um, with, with mixed genders, people want to be a contribution. People want to lay their little head on their little pillow at night, knowing that they were a contribution to the people around them. And oftentimes what I've seen um, to answer your question, Dale, or to start to at least is that men aren't feeling often that they're making the contribution that they're here to make. Maybe they're stuck in a dead end job that maybe they haven't found their way to a, uh, an authentic erotic connection with their long-term partners. Maybe they're just exhausted by like the crazy demands of capitalism and just trying to survive and just tired and frustrated. And it can be really, really easy to lose sight of the sense as their head hits the pillow at night that they've been making a contribution in this world so that they can die without regrets. And so I mean, it doesn't actually, we haven't gotten to sexual integrity and I want to just name that, Sunny, but um, yeah, I just, I, I want to greet your question with a lot of compassion. Analyzing it as like, I feel judged um, is often, I've seen more like I'm not me, living up to my own standards. I'm not 
here to do, I'm not doing every day what I am here to do. And when I offer my clients the opportunity to identify where are you out of integrity? In other words, where are your daily actions not matching what you've, what your actual values are, what the things about other people are that you respect, the qualities, generosity, compassion, leadership, et cetera. Where are those things not matching your actions? And people are often, frankly, amazingly able to name the areas that they're out of integrity. And yeah, so when I, when I, when I focus on sexual integrity, it's, it's simply a, a kind of a, a zeroing in on the niche. Where are my actions around my own sexuality, my sexual expression, um, and my sexual connections not matching my values? So I'll pause there, but I can totally go deeper on like what that actually means and what it looks like. That was a beautiful answer, Misha. And I loved that you got underneath the judgment because now you're, I, I'm seeing that the judgment's a symptom and that, mm. and that what's, what's really deeper is this, this purpose and being able to support, you know, our men in, in finding that and, um, yeah, that's beautiful. So thank you for that answer. My pleasure. Yeah. Yeah. So it sounds like you have really been very close with a lot of really deep work of really holding people, helping people hold themselves accountable and having integrity with themselves. And you've done a lot of that. So how did you get started? Um, Victor Frankl in, in his book, Man's Search for Meaning often talks about the, the incredible, incredible power and beauty of, of finding, finding meaning and, and how, how much of an ongoing search it is. No, no matter where we are in life, there's always layers of meaning that we're discovering and then rediscovering for ourselves. And it's easy in heteronormative monogamous culture to lose, to lose sight of that, to have the, the deep embodied societal expectation that the marriage itself or the job itself, or even the children themselves should be meaning enough, should be good enough. And it's humbling to see that achieving what society tells us to achieve doesn't always give our lives meaning. And just, yeah, I want, I want to invite some gentleness and compassion. Lives are so complicated. But um, I was raised by two wonderfully loving uh, parents who um, are still alive and are still together. They live in Mill Valley, and I see them quite often. An upper-class family in the Bay Area. There was inherited wealth from um, the Macy's fortune, as well as some real estate properties here in the Bay Area. And I was smart. I went to prep schools and I went to university and they gave me a lot of le- uh, freedom to kind of like choose my own life path. And I went into nonprofits. I was doing pretty well, or, you know, decently well, program managing and fundraising. And, uh, um, but I was always a, a kind of a bit of a sexual dilettante and, 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 a, uh, and an explorer. And I really wanted to have lots and lots and lots of different experiences and lots of um, intense experiences. And part of that was dating women who I was not going to settle down with. And in one case, I was in a relationship in which I was living with a woman who I had no intention of actually 
being with long-term and the tension arising in that, um, in that dynamic led to a really, really bad breakup. And in that breakup, both of us got violent through that violence. I hit her and I broke her nose and I handled it badly afterwards as well. And it was, uh, I'd like to say there was a wake up call that changed my life right then. But the truth is it took me years of therapy and living life to kind of reconcile myself to not only my own capacity to do harm, but the layers of, um, of privilege and kind of like being in relationship to my own privilege in surrounding that act that I that, that were contrary to my own values that were out of integrity for me, the whole idea of like dating a woman for the experience or like being like, Oh, this is interesting. Jack Kerouac used to write about that. Like, Oh, this is just going to be good fodder for my writing, you know, like this kind of coldness and um, ability to be emotionless in around sex, you know, not something I really was comfortable looking at. And I needed to do a lot of therapy and, and, and he liked to, to even see it in myself and accept it in myself. And so yeah, that, that, that one act was also hard to reconcile because I didn't have like an abusive childhood. I didn't have like, I wasn't like, didn't have a good excuse. <laughs> um, so that was, that was really, really challenging. And, and, and it's been, it's been, I, I hate to use harm that I've done as like in this kind of like, oh, it was really educational for me or oh, it was a gift to me. Like that feels cavalier in a bad way, but I'll just say it was a very transformative thing for me. And, and it did put me on my path. There's a Hebrew concept that um, called teshuva, which means atonement or repentance, but it also means a turning or returning. And part of the philosophy of this is that when you do a really bad thing, it's incumbent upon you to spend the rest of your life helping other people not to do it. And I didn't even know that concept back then, but that's felt very applicable to me. Anyway, my career evolved. I went to graduate school. I developed my career, but I was never particularly successful. I was always in tension with who I wanted to be in the world versus the strictures of my job. And I failed a lot. I kept on, I would hit my numbers at my various jobs, did my, but I was difficult to work with, difficult to manage. And so I kept on getting fired. And in 2016, I took some time off got clear that I didn't want, that I needed a radical change and found my way to coaching. Me Too hit. I found my way to men's coaching. And then I started seeing how pervasive sexual assault um, was in my own communities, started hosting groups um, for men called Men Confronting the Patriarchy in my apartment in the hate. And that led me to sexual integrity coaching and to developing an entire practice around it. I'll stop there. I could go. To, yeah, I mean, there's no, no, that, that was a great start. I think there's like, first off, thank you for being vulnerable and, you know, sharing like your truth and the way you shared it. I, I thought you were, it was a great share. Um, and it, it is so cool that you then started something in your apartment. I love the idea of art projects just growing beyond that. I think that's super lovely. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, right. Uh, that that initiatives can just grow, and I, uh, I think a big, a big, a big thing I want to name is that it is a weird modality. It doesn't correspond to 
traditional life coaching, which is like helping people hit their goals. A traditional men's coaching is about helping men get more women and make more money. And I'm not really doing either of those things. Um, traditional therapy is about healing. I'm not doing that really. You know, this is a, a unique modality and I've had a huge amount of encouragement and support from existing coaches and teachers and writers and thinkers and leaders who have kind of endorsed this approach and endorsed my my approach and people who who I respect from a variety of different backgrounds. Um, my anti-racism mentor, the Reverend Bridge Feltis out of Los Angeles, um, Angel, Angel Adioha, uh, who's a Native American two-spirit person, a transformative justice thought leader and the head of Folsom Street Fair, the largest leather and kink event in the world. And Marsha Vinsky, who's a transformational coach and does a lot of uh, really in-depth relational coaching and teaching. Midori, the kink instructor, has been really influential for me. So as well as just so many um, thought leaders who I don't have personal relationships with, who, but whose work has really influenced me. Adrian Murray Brown is a huge influence on my practice. Um, the, the, the idea of pleasure activism, um, of thinking about pleasure through a liberatory lens and also through a power aware lens. The work of Amiya Srinivasan, who's an Oxford philosophy professor, has been really influential. She published a book called The Right to Sex, which is really interesting. Um, and I highly, highly recommend it. it's a collection of essays. And, and, and then there's others. But I, yeah, I think it's I think it's important to say that, like, I, I'm putting myself forward and I guess like I'm doing my best to, like, market myself as I've seen other people sort of become successful. being like, look, I'm on social media. It's me talking. But like, there's so many other people who are like like encouraging me and giving me advice and support. I have a, I have a team of advisors who I rely on and lean on. I have, I have set up an external supervisory structure for myself going into this field, which is not even a real field. It's starting to sort of become a thing. <laughs> if they've got a problem with me or they think I'm out of integrity in some way that they can report me to my supervisors because like normally coaching doesn't have any kind of supervisory structure. There's no legal oversight even of coaching, which is, kind of, frankly a problem right there's not enough oversight and oversight i think is important and accountability is important so like if you've got a problem with me you can go to my website and report me to supervisors who have the ability to basically stop me from coaching or teaching or writing or if you, you know if they got out of integrity in some way yeah i i recommend that for all independent coaches i think and as well as for people who don't otherwise have any kind of boss <laughs> you know i think it's dangerous to not have a boss <laughs> in some way on the other hand i hated having a boss <laughs> you know and i always rebelled <laughs> against it and had my own thoughts and was outspoken and difficult to manage so yeah i think it's but i think i do think uh, yeah I, I i believe in interdependence this is another big teaching of the transformative justice movement for instance is that you can't really be you can't be in community if you're not interdependent with each other this is a not a value i inherited i you know the the value I inherited was make lots of money and then give to charity generously, you know, but don't need anybody else. Be radically independent of anybody always. And I think it's really important to be dependent on each other. You know, um, my advisor, Angel, has, has questioned the idea of work-life balance. Um, they have questioned, for instance, the idea that, um, that the goal should be to be charitable. charitable char charity doesn't require any exchanges. It doesn't 
you know? So, so the, anyway, I don't believe that men should do the work of liberating themselves as like a favor to women. <laughs> you know, I think it should be for themselves. I think this work is self-serving in a good way. I think that's right and good. <laughs> you know, I think it should. <laughs> so I think it's um, also contribution to the people around them. Right. Right. So it's really great that you have a team and an advisory board to, you know, help hold you accountable and you be held accountable. And, um, you know, that kind of goes into what your work is, sexual integrity. And I'm really curious of like how your clients end up coming to you and like going to your coaching because it seems like it's pretty hard to admit when someone's out of integrity because everyone, like it's easy to feel insecure about that. So how do you think that, like, do people just end up with you um, are people recommended to you? How do you usually find your your clients and how do they usually end up in your circle with owning that? Yeah, well, it can be delicate to be sure, you know? And um, so I, I think uh, I want I want to just say two things. There's There's clients who come to me proactively and there's clients who come to me in a kind of more reaction, reactionary path. Um, so sometimes someone's like, I, I've worked, I work with a lot of canceled men. I work with a lot of uh, men who have been publicly called out. Um, men who have lost a job or a position of leadership um, because of Facebook rumors or social media. I also work with men who have simply been taken aside, usually by a woman in their lives and said, hey, there's something you need to look at. Okay, so that's one group, right? And then there's people who have been like, shit, I think I'm out of integrity or I've just taken on a new position like husband or organization director um, that I'm seeing I need work to make sure that I'm I'm prepared for that. I want to I, I don't want to be one of the canceled men like I, I I'm seeing that I've still got maybe. Like I've still got some habits or patterns or behaviors that that might lead me to be out of integrity. And now that I've got more power, more influence, or I'm in this new role, like I really want to make sure preventatively I don't fuck it up. <laughs> I don't do harm or that I'm, you know, and then I've got clients who just like, they're not really at risk of, of doing the kind of harm that we're thinking about, like abusive power or, um, or, or making the people around them feel unsafe or sexual assault or, or rape or harassment. It's more like there's a piece of me, the client might say, there's a piece of me that I haven't even really been able to wrap my head around that. Like I see that I'm out of integrity around because I have been lying to all of my partners. I I've been performing as a traditional man, but it turns out that I'm gay or I've been <laughs> shit. You know, and I just can I, can I get some support with that? like, fuck, like I'm out of integrity, not because I'm bad or because I'm doing harm, but because I'm lying to myself. I'm lying to them. You know, and it's important to me to be honest. It's especially important to me. And it's important to me to be sexually fulfilled in this lifetime. It's important to me to like have experienced the depth of, you know, joy of, of the erotic path of like, I, you know, I find my divinity in, in my erotic expression or, you know, and, and shit, I'm just not where I want to be there. You know, I've supported men to, to see, to see controversial um, kinks that they have, that they've just had a super amount of shame in. And I've also supported them to go into sexual addiction, to go into alcohol and drug addiction counseling, to go into 
sex therapy to work with sex workers, to work with surrogates, to to have in-depth conversations with their exes. You know, there's lots of outside work that I encourage my clients to do as well that might be called for. And so, yeah, there's a huge amount of my practice. It's like just referring people to like, <laughs> to like other sources that may be more or simultaneously effective. Yeah. Go, go ahead, Dale, please. It sounds like you're doing really amazing work. And I would imagine that, you know, a man would come up against some conflict or some wall or block obstacle in his life where he would see that it just wasn't working anymore. I'm mm-hmm. I'm also really interested in, you know, you use the term interdependency. And then in terms of your story, so it sounds like it was a very one-sided relationship. There wasn't that inter the story that you shared that kind of got you to to where you are. Um how do you enroll what what's a way that you teach or kind of enroll men in understanding that and starting to implement that interdependent kind of way of being in in their lives. Like, you know, I'm sure it's huge and it probably is a long process. And and Dale, do you mean like in typically like male in partnership, having more interdependence in partnership or interdependence in life and not being kind of solo in nature? Is that what you're saying? Well, it probably, it probably would include both, you know, both areas, life and an intimate partner or, or some kind of relationship that, um, they wanted to deepen or not have this one sided, you know, way of being and relating. Does yeah. That, does that make I mean, sense? Sure. Or, yeah. I mean, I'm, what I'm, I guess I'm hearing from your conversation, from your question is, is, in what ways am I able to challenge a more transactional or extractive way of being around sex and relationships? Yeah. Yeah. And the, and the, and interdependency, like the, that mutuality, like there's two of us here, right? Not only about me, you know, and kind of um, imposing my needs on someone, which is sort of your story said. So it's really about considering the other person. And this is about like how, how we do this together. So many, so many ways. Uh, and it depends on the client. Uh, a few things I'll just say is that, you know, as one of my mentors once said, you can't rush transformation. You know, this is, this is a process that takes anywhere from three months to 30 years. So, you know, just, you know, patience, patience. And the acceptance of people on the path that they're on is actually a huge way that I do. That's actually a tool and technique is not to imply or assume that like, hey, if I just like shove this, you know, feminist stuff down your throat, like you should just fucking get it because it's right. You know, that's actually the opposite of what I do. Um, I invite people into a more aligned version with themselves. So I literally have my clients define their life goals and see where they might be out of integrity. I have them define their values through the lens of the, uh, for instance, uh, the the moments in their sexual and romantic lives that they were the most proud of themselves for that they can identify those moments and start seeing the patterns of like oh right and the moments i feel the most proud of there was these 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 patterns of 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 care or mutuality for instance or of um curiosity the beautiful one to take into sexuality of egolessness what i had this amazing sex when i just like stopped caring about what she thought of me and started just really sensing into my own pleasure. I also invite people to look 
at their own lives, at the places, yeah, at their at the places where they've been told that they might have been out of integrity, and look at them through new lenses. So stories that they've had where they were like that they've easily dismissed is often an often a pattern I've seen where they're like, oh yeah, that, but that that woman was just fucking crazy, or yeah, I don't know, I think she was the wrong one there, and it's like that's where the story in their own minds has ended. Like I invite lots and lots of different perspectives, and I might give them readings or videos to add different perspectives. And then re-examine the past through new light. I, I don't look at any part of life as 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 siloed. You know, if there's something radically out of alignment around the way around what's happening at work, or what's happening in their family, um, like say with with their parents or with maybe their roommates or with their colleagues or coworkers that will likely influence what's happening in their sexual and relational lives. You can't silo this stuff. So there might be work to do to get into integrity in other spaces that will allow them the space to be more in integrity uh, around sex. And I will also just say that like the more, the more aligned with purpose and meaning I've found often the the easier it is to relax the natural the the natural patriarchal defenses against interdependence and and allow the heart to open a little bit a little bit and a little 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 and so the goals that i set for each man that i help him set for himself are very 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 independent to him i don't set like oh like you need to have this level of empathy and these these exact standards of sexual integrity in order to be a good man. That's like the opposite of what I do. It's very much unique to the person. And that for some men, that's literally been like, from my perspective, it's like, he's still doing a bunch of dangerous stuff. He's still having lots of really irresponsible sex, but at least now he's like having power based conversations pre and post he's doing post sex check-ins and he's using condoms, you know, and after a month intervention, like that was success for this person. And that's where he is on his path. And so, like, I, yeah, it's so important to just meet people where they're at and not impose a set of like, this is what a good man should be or any of that shit. And I think, frankly, people on the left do this just as much as on the right, you know? And like, if, but if anyone's listening and curious, my definition of a quote, good man is someone who's interested in his own integrity and someone who takes actions to align himself with it. Right. It's, uh, it also sounds like what you said was that like acceptance almost similar to like an unconditional love maybe is what is healing to like the kind of um, almost like aggressive or like standoffishness to vulnerability, right? Because also anger is a secondary feeling to vulnerability and it's a reaction to feeling vulnerable is another way to say that. So that I think that's really lovely that, you know, by, kind of um, embracing the authenticity of the person and pushing that forward and accepting the person that is the healing. And that is what is kind of stepping into to power. If, if there's healing happening, it's healing from the wounds of patriarchy and white supremacy that are in us, that are in all of us. Um, I don't think of my clients as exceptional um, or bad. If anything, I think of them as exceptionally brave to be spending time, money, and energy with me to like look at these challenging parts of themselves. I really applaud any man who wants to take the path of like really establishing practices for himself. I see a lot of men doing this even without any coaching who like approach sex and sexuality from a perspective of humility and compassion and skill building. 
of saying there's things I don't know. And the work is not to like pretend I know them or, or shame myself for not knowing them or shame myself for fucking up when I, you know, when I get things wrong, um, when I don't have, you know, when I don't perform well or when I don't make her come or when I lie or, you know, or cheat or, you know, like, but rather say like, oh, I'm able to look at where I'm out of integrity. I'm able to take concrete actions to get myself back into integrity or closer to integrity on an ongoing basis, you know? And oh, so one of the core skills is really, and again, I, 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 I really want to bring this back to, to coaching. I, I'm, this is not a healing practice. This is a skill building practice. This is about skill building. And, 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 and truly, uh, so that's why I like, I invite people in in bulk. The course that I offer, quick plug, starts in September, is a 50 person, two month in depth immersive for um, people who are already relatively well experienced in their sexual lives, but want to make sure that they're, that they're cultivating intimate abundance in a skillful way. Um, and I offer them the skill building to develop the pillars of sexual integrity, um, starting with their values, but going into knowledge. So trauma informedness, power awareness, um, skills, like the skill of doing really, really, really excellent and transformative repair after fucking up and practices. So ongoing practices, practices that they can put into their lives on a daily, um, or weekly ongoing basis. Yeah, I'm looking at the course right now, um, Misha. The, it's the Beyond Consent course, right? Beyond Consent. And it's full. It is sold out. Um, this this most recent a- one was. I just haven't updated the website. There's a wait list for September that you can go get your email on right now. Great. So there are spaces for the September cohort. And we'll put a note in the in the um in the podcast notes. Um I, I've got another question. So what what might you suggest for for people who are in a relationship with a man sure who want who 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 are experiencing something where they would they they'd like to get their their man or the man that they care about into coaching and um they're not sure how to do it what how give us a a way um to enter into a conversation um, yep. that would be supportive, not intimidating, not pushing, but that could maybe, um, open up just the possibility of, um, receiving some coaching. Sure. I'll just say off the bat that there is an incredible power that, um, and I'll speak specifically to women actually just for a moment, because in gay relationships, this looks a little different, right? Which is that I'm omnisexual. I date people of all genders, um, although I tend to skew primarily towards women. Where we're both, both, both are in a, in a man and man relationship. We're both we're both coming from a man perspective. Like that's how we were both raised. We might have had radically different backgrounds, racially or socioeconomically or culturally, etc. But like both men, um, there is a beauty and a power in the ability of a woman in a relationship with a man to share a perspective about how he shows up in the world that at his core, um, most men will kind of know that they'll never fully understand. So she has the ability to, to, to draw forth this kind of cosmic 
woman wisdom that like you'll never see the world and you'll never even see yourself partner lover husband in a way that i can see you and that other women can see you so that's i'll just start off right about saying like that is a, a, a incredible power that i i see many women in my life not even fully stepping into or even recognizing that they have over the men in their lives and, that, and that's gorgeous by the way i just i just want to take a moment because what you just said is so beautiful Really? Okay. Oh, sorry. I was going to keep going. Thanks for stopping I mean, me. I, I appreciate it. Yeah. Taking that in personally and feeling yeah. the power of that, like that my perspective, that my, um, what I see and who I am matters and being able to kind of impart that to somebody I love feels really yeah, just very empowering and, and beautiful. So thank you for that. that. That's so funny. You felt that. I felt that too. Um, which is so sweet. And I think um, that acknowledging that, you know, way of seeing, and every person has ways of seeing, right? Any type of person, any different person has ways of seeing. And just honoring that is just a very kind thing to do. And it's a, it's very attuning to a person. Like I feel attuned to from hearing you say that. Um, yeah. So you can talk more about that if you'd like. <laughs> <laughs> sure yeah thanks for naming that y'all and also we can take a pause because we've been going on for a little bit so how do you invite a man into this kind of integrity coaching. Um, and I think Dale, what you were saying earlier is so right. Um, if you come from a place of disempowerment and complaining, um, it tends not to be effective. The other thing that tends not to be effective is, is prescribing for your partner, something that's worked for you. <laughs> right. Um, or that even that you've seen work for other men. So I had a partner who just insisted that I meditate and what I, what she was, you know, cause that meditation was such a big thing for her. What she was guiding me towards was Misha. I think that you should, you should invest more in your own spiritual growth. Right. And that's right. But, but my, the resistance that I experienced came up when I was like, no, that's your thing. Like that might not be my path. And I distrust what you're advising me to do because it's so clearly informed by your experience, which is not my experience. So don't impose yourself on me, right? That's, that was, that was just sharing my experience. And this has also been echoed in a lot of the experiences of my client. So, but what has been effective for me is another partner at a different time, encouraging me more to walk my own path, right? So there's an incredible power in when my partner sees me as someone walking a path and believes in that path. Like one of the most impactful things my ex-partner ever told me, she was like, Misha, you're definitely going to get canceled at some point. And I want to be standing by your side when you do. I also had a partner encourage me to, to do specific um, forms of like supplemental education. Um, but uh, most impactful has been when someone's linked what they think is important for me to do to my own path. To the path that to the, what they see is important to me. Like you've told me how important it is to you to be a, a thought leader. You know, like a big, big piece of that is being on podcasts. This person would be a great podcast to be on. Here you go. Right. It's like, this is, this is important to you. 
again and again and again, I encourage people to come into orienting behavior change in someone they love towards what's important to that person. Not like, honey, I need you to do this for me, for us. No, it's like for you. I am, I'm working with a man right now um, who is um, cheating on his girlfriend, uh, has, che- has cheated multiple times on his girlfriend. Um, but what's emerged is his desire to be a spiritual leader um, of the family, right? Um, he's, he's in a cr- traditionalist Christian uh, marriage. He's Christian, you know, but like he hasn't really found that spiritual center in himself. And he's still like acting like a young man, like a young boy. So I'm not telling him, bad boy, cheating is bad. I'm saying, what would a spiritual leader do? What would it look like to be a spiritual leader in this, in this context? When you're tempted to drink, when you're tempted to cheat. And again and again, orienting to, towards his, and I, I even use the words that he said. He uses the word spiritual leader. That wasn't my phrase. That was his phrase, you know? So like I'm orienting again and again. I encourage partners to do this with their partners, orienting towards the words and the phrases that have deep, personal resonance for the people they're trying to change. Yeah, I get that. That's so great. I I love that, you know, finding what's coming from there. Like I I know that how important this is to you. And I I see that, you know, the potential or whatever. That's such a great way to um to enter into that. And and I have I have not heard the term canceled man. So you, oh. and Sonny, you and Sonny, probably, you seem to know what that is, but it's I, a generational thing. God, tell me what that define that because Sonny, would you like to do that one? <laughs> yeah. So, um, this is a great moment. Um, so getting canceled. <laughs> yeah. So getting canceled, Dale, is when someone who in society maybe said something controversial or did something controversial. Some may say that super, super bad. And then other people may say, oh, it's not that bad. It really depends on who's looking at the situation. But being canceled is being like exiled from a group. And um, so anyone who's Me too is typically said to be canceled. Like Jeffrey Epstein, big canceled. One of the um, salient facts of cancellation is also that theorists have dubbed the transitive properties of cancellation, which is that anybody associating with a canceled person is therefore is thereby also problematic and bad. And it really goes against a lot of um, more, I'd say like restorative justice perspectives a lot. Um, It's not like typically, I mean, everybody like it's a very political thing too. So it gets a little dicey to get in the weeds about, but yeah, it's definitely like not a very restorative framework in like um sociology for lack of a better word i don't think it's very integrative my uh my friend mika offered me a, a a wonderfully healing reframe of the critiques of cancel culture which are many of which are valid but also can be themselves reactionary which is um consequence culture right when you're in a world in which there are consequences for not just breaking laws right Jeffrey Epstein, Harvey Weinstein, you know, these are, these are easy, easy extremes and straw men to make. But like when it's just a matter, which it often is with my clients of just not really being aware enough of your power to wield it well. It's also like, it's situations that are like that. And it's also like people learning how to be human too, sometimes as crazy as it sounds like there is an extreme. And then there's also like, 
I'm human yeah. and I made a mistake, you know? Which- right. So, so the, 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 the flip side of the anti-cancel culture argument is, of course, that you need to have both structural and individual practices for accountability to not feel the need to cancel, right? Um, as Adrienne Marie Brown writes, you know, she, and I love, she, she writes very eloquently about both, both the importance of not just defaulting to like big cancellations and big extremes when someone har- harms you, but also the, the simultaneous parallel cr- critical importance of having accountability skills. And I don't want this to be abstract. When I say accountability skills, I mean literally working with your therapist, et cetera, on not getting reactionary, defensive, or self-centering when you get called out for harm, right? Like challenging, like, or challenging and dismantling and like softening defensive reactions. When someone says you harmed me, how do I react? Like if I get defensive, that like tends to be really combative and hard and bad. So like softening defensiveness is a skill. You can work on it. I've seen it happen. You can actually get better at this. Knowing how to apologize in a way that doesn't self-center, that actually demonstrates transformation, that demonstrates accountability in the form of preventative action in the future is a huge skill that I teach is one of the like core skills that people like tell me are the tr- are transformative in their lives. I teach this workshop at festivals and all over. And it's like the, the, the gold standard apologies, restorations of integrity. When you can really, you know, it gives you the confidence to make mistakes, to be able to walk through the world and be a human, as you say. It's actually one of the most dangerous things I think is a sexually libertine culture in which people are also simultaneously afraid to make even a single mistake because it will be very, very, very difficult when they inevitably do. Very true. Yeah. That kind of also steps right into more questions I had, um, just about like more of your curriculum, um, right? So you have on your website um, kind of your philosophy of the joy of manhood journey and um, also the third way. Um, I was wondering if you could go into a little bit of both of those. Because uh, I took I took a look at them and I think they're both like have some really good information that um, deserves some attention. Sure, sure. Um, and it's also a lot of information. So whatever feels right for you, it's how you go I'll, into I'll that. Summarize when I when I talk about the third way, I've often found that like there's there's this this is very a very typical analysis, but I'm gonna I'm gonna go there. There's there's a a, a perspective on manhood that's traditionalist of um the classical dominant and 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 critically very like emotionless man um there's a kind of trad regressive return to this perspective from an almost nihilistic perspective in the form of of men like andrew tate where it's like yeah just don't care right what basically what they're saying is stop caring about the people around you and I know that they would never admit to that, but there's there's this very strong undercurrent of of just of just not being not being loving in the world, not being caring and compassionate, and and having that be that's the answer. This is also called the red pill perspective. This is also called the men going their own way perspective. There's a huge amount of the like the 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 men centered internet that's that's very much about this, and that's let's call that area one. And area two is this kind of soft boy feminized you know overly sweet overly apologetic you know perspective but ironically enough there's a huge amount of harm in that perspective to the people around 
someone who is in a male body who identifies as a man, um, frankly, or even someone who is in a male body. And I'll just say who doesn't identify as a man. I see a lot of non-binary males who do harm in the, in exactly the way traditionally men, traditionally male men do, but are blinded by the fact that it's like, Hey, I'm non-binary. Like I, I couldn't possibly embody like a patriarchal entitlement to sex in a way that like caused me to push with this AFAB person that I was hooking up with. Like, what are you talking like, you know, and it takes them layers and layers and layers of analysis to just know I was acting like a fucking frat boy shit. Just because I'm non-binary doesn't mean that I don't act like a frat boy. You did. It's okay. That, that, you know, and so I see, I see a huge danger in, in any embodiment of male, of manhood or of maleness that doesn't appreciate our own biology, our own essential manness, right? That just tries to distrust it. There's, there's traditions like the, of this in the Bible, even, right? Like I'm a Jew and I have huge issues with um, Brit Milah and the, the, the tradition of circumcision, which was originally what's called the Abrahamic covenant, which is traditionally about distrusting the intensity of the male, of male sexuality and controlling it. This is also the tradition of circumcision in America. R.W. Kellogg was a reactionary Christian and like popularized the idea of like, we can't trust male sexuality. It's too rapey. It's too violent. We got to cut. We got to control. And yeah. So this whole distrust of ourselves is let's call that column B. The third way incorporates a liberationist perspective that says that we are um, fundamentally as men um, influenced. I, I hate to use the word victims, but like influenced by patriarchy, that we are harmed by a patriarchal perspective on the world, that we are harmed by a world that gives us everything that tells us to go and get that excuses us when we go and get sex, that creates an expectation that we'll be emotionless around sex. Um, this is not good for us. It's not right. Just like it's bad for white people to live in a white supremacist world. It's bad for men to live in a patriarchal world. It's bad for us. It takes us away from our humanity. Um, being accountable for the consequences of our actions including even the most subtle ones is liberation. Accountability is liberation. Being held accountable for power is a way of being liberated from that, from patriarchy. Um, and it's, it's a joyful path because it allows the full expression that frankly, everybody around you wants, right? Like if you're a man, like everybody around you wants you to be your full expressed joyful self and contributing your gifts to the world. And one of the things I tell my clients is you still have a, you st it's still your responsibility to contribute your gifts to the world. Uh, I think I got that from a book somewhere. I just love that. It's still your responsibility. And so, yeah, that's, that's the third way. And I know I didn't get answer your question about modality, but that's, yeah. And, and whatever that looks like, maybe that does look like a non-binary manifestation. Maybe you do wear dresses and high heels. I mean, God bless. And maybe you wear, you know, you ride a tractor and you're going to start a farm and raise your family in a very traditionalist Christian way. I mean, God bless, 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 bless. Like I encourage people to pursue their own unique manifestations of what it means to be a man and to do so that in a, in a, in a, in a way that takes into account, um, the beautiful wisdom that's come through the 20th and 21st century uh, philosophies of like feminist liberation that can illustrate the incredible power of being a man. And, 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 and that I, I want men to walk through the world with, with a humility and a, and a, and a, and a, a sense of blessing of like, I didn't ask for this power that I've somehow been given over women, but boy, but I'm, I'm humbled in front of it and I want to wield it well rather than pretending it doesn't exist or wielding it badly. Yeah. 
sounds like you are talking a lot about um, like conscientiousness in like um, being a man and uh, masculinity and being like integrated about that, really connecting the dots and, you know, understanding we live in a society um, that imposes colonial structures on us and also acknowledging that historically there's been benefit to that, sadly, and also that is not the way and that is not helpful to society and it is harmful. I was trying to mirror that. I think, again, like I invite invite us to think like there's been benefit in the sense of like money and wealth and the acquisition of power and, um, and, and women as commodities, but there's also been, right, and this is also echoing a white supremacy critique perspective of like the the detriment to men has been that this perspective has created a, a severance of our relationship with the larger human experience where we think of anybody who's not a man as somehow less. Yeah. Also separation yeah. from nature, I would say too. Separation from nature, separation from the larger human experience, separation from our own souls. You know, so much of what we commonly term as the benefits have been acquisitional and 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 separate us from our souls and separate us from the the large the, the deeper parts of of us that want to be again contributions to the people around us contributions to the world dale did you have any thoughts on that no i mean i think you 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 two have really you know said <laughs> a lot of um important things related to that you know um so I, I don't have anything to add on that. I think that you both have named it, you know, what you're saying really well. Thank you for sharing that. Yeah. So how can people find you? So go to evolve.men and schedule a discovery call. If this work just has any interest, if you're interested in this, if you're curious about it, please schedule a discovery call with me. Um, and let me know what's on your mind. Evolve.men. And then if you're interested and you are, you know, if you don't want to do one-on-one work, but you're interested in, in just really focusing on the skill development and um, in a general way, then check out beyondconsent.love, beyondconsent.love and, and sign up. Um, and the information on the course will be there, all the different m- uh, modules, et cetera. I coach you with some really wonderful uh guest instructors and uh it's all online you can access it from everywhere i've had people from europe and the east coast the midwest the deep south take it all at the same time it's really wonderful um canada i got someone in mexico one time and yeah so it's it's really it's really cool to share this and the yeah sign up for my mailing list especially if you're in the bay area but sign up for my mailing list in general please oh and follow me on instagram this is actually big i never plug myself Followership is viability. If you believe in my work or even be- want to check me out and see if I'm legit, please follow me on Instagram at Sirmisha B, B as in boy, at Sirmisha B on Instagram. And if you sign up for my mailing list, I also do some in-person work. I run uh, an event called Spirit Fight Club with um, another man named Daryl Jones, where we offer men the opportunity to come into a space and express themselves through combat in a conscious way. That sounds so fun. Yeah. I'm really grateful, Misha, for you being here today and 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 just blessings to you for sharing all your beautiful work and your ideas. And um I can't wait for people to to hear what you've shared with us today. Thank you so much. <laughs> it was great. Yeah. Thank you so much. 
Thank you for joining us on NWRP. Don't forget to check out Misha's work at evolve.men and beyondconsent.love for coaching, gatherings, and workshops. Follow Misha on Instagram at servemishab. See you next time on New Wave Relationships.